I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know what? You know what? I'm kind of getting real tired of all the hate that gets directed at this market, including a day like today where the Dow lost 174 points. S&P declined 0.72%. And the Nasdaq dipped 0.42%. Sell, 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 sell. What a bizarrely hated market this indeed has become. Look, I recognize that we have a wall of worry to overcome. But on a big down day, I think it's important for you to hear the other side of the trade. Sell, sell, sell. Nope. Bye, 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 bye. So let me list the major objections I often hear to what people are saying. And let me explain how each one might actually end up working out for the better. Some of this is anecdotal. But what we're going to do is work together to realize that gloom and doom may not be a big payoff here. Why don't we start with one of the ones that prove and busted gloom? Let's talk about Apple. Now, Apple's a stock that soared today because last night we learned that the biggest enterprise on Earth is no longer just a tech company. It's a company that accomplishes incredible things for consumers in an amazing way. Before last night, Apple's considered a handset company mostly covered by pure tech analysts who like to count handsets for a living by looking at how the underlying components are selling so they can predict things. If Apple sold more than 60 million iPhones, all was good. House of pleasure. If they sold less, it was the end of the world. House of pain. Yeah, the story was just that binary because some of Apple's suppliers experienced weakness. The consensus going into this quarter was that the company would have to disappoint. The stock would have to get hit. And then maybe it might stabilize down, say, 10% with a big buyback. Instead, Apple reported some darn good numbers, but it was during the conference call the whole narrative changed about this company, and it changed for the better. Now, after the call, investors recognized that Apple makes expensive phones that really act like razors that are often subsidized by the telco carriers, and the actual razor blades, all those services they provide, are selling like crazy. In fact, the number of so-called paid razor blade club members, I'm not talking about Harry's. You know what I mean? I, I'm talking about, yeah, Apple. To the beleaguer, to believe the uh, labor of the analogy, well, they increased by 100 million people versus last year. That's right. 100 million people, more than the Dollar Shave Club, to the point where Apple's basically running the biggest, most beloved affinity program in the world, and it's also a tech company. Yet the service revenue club is 275 million strong and growing stronger because there is an astounding 99% satisfaction rate for the product. Wow, just wow. And the services are not just incredibly cool. In many cases, they're practically necessities of modern life. Have you ever, you ever lost your pictures? 
Well, that's because you didn't back them up on the cloud. That's a service. Given how much more money Apple makes from the blades, like the Music Club, that iCloud Club I just mentioned, and the AirPods Club, which isn't uh, even a service, but I throw it in anyway. Apple stock needs to be analyzed not by the tech analysts, all of whom are almost uniformly, uniformly negative or tepid. They need to be followed by the people who follow Clorox and Coca-Cola and, of course, Procter & Gamble itself, parent of Gillette. These companies have nowhere near the growth of Apple's razor blade business, nor the balance sheet, nor the dividend, nor the buybacks. Yet their stocks all trade at huge price-to-earnings multiple premiums to Apple. And yes, indeed, what can I do? That's the best apples-to-apples comparison I know. That's why the objections to owning the biggest company, I think, have become downright silly. How about Facebook? Now, a month ago, Facebook seemed like it was running amok and was about to be leveled by the government. No wonder the stock traded down to 18 times earnings. Since then, four things have happened. First, Facebook got religion about creating a positive public image and started apologizing all over the place. Suddenly, it was Facebook with a human face. Second, they ended up reporting terrific numbers, which made us realize that whatever the media might say about Facebook, the users and advertisers still love it. I think to most people, especially young people, the scandal was a non-story, at least too, one that was too hard to understand, given the, the often very short uh, time attention they uh, have there. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, it was also an idea that when we post stuff on the Internet, perhaps uh, there's not that much of an expectation of privacy. Third, my biggest objection here was Facebook's seeming intransigence toward having outside counsel look into their practices to ensure that this kind of thing would never happen again. Well, they just did it. They just hired some tough outside lawyers to monitor and clean up any bias. It's not going to be done by Facebook people. It will be done by people with unimpeachable credentials and characters. A megaway from the Justice Department and the Senate. The outside examiners who signed on are so respected by Congress that I think Facebook may have this whole issue in the bag now, presuming that there's not another Cambridge Analytica lurking in the wings. Finally, I should also, of course, point out that Facebook's most worrisome competitor, Snap, imploded so badly last night that some people are even questioning its viability going forward. Memo to Snap's management. Only you can prevent cash fires. And from the looks of things, you're not doing a very good job at that. Next objection, raw costs. Now what? I am tell- Today, that was it. I was fed up. I am tired of hearing about raw costs being so scary. Sure, when earnings season got rolling, we kept hearing about rising freight costs and rising oil costs, rising res- resin costs, rising steel, and, uh, of course, rising aluminum costs. But now I've dug deeper. And the story's gotten more complicated, more nuanced than that. Yes, freight's been a problem, but that's because of various bottlenecks around the country. Railroads that weren't ready for a surge of demand or a shortage of truck drivers because of e-commerce competition. And those problems are being solved every day. Drivers do get hired. The bottlenecks in the railroad industry do get fixed. How about fuel? I think oil's stalling out here because even though the Saudis want it higher for the upcoming Aramco IPO, that's going to happen next year, they don't want to incur President Trump's wrath. Plus, a strong dollar can hold down the price of crude while we wait for new pipelines coming out of the fecund Permian Basin. Aluminum, steel, okay, tough calls. Anytime the government mandates higher prices, that's exactly what you're going to get. Funny, though, the customers weren't idiots, and they either bought up a ton of both metals or they hedged. I think the impact of the tariffs is already baked into the market. Put it all together, and the raw cost problem is a lot less dire than it seems, or else the steel company stocks would be going higher, not lower. Next, there's China. All right. China's difficult. 
We don't know what our delegation will do over there. We don't even know what the president's plan is or how the Chinese will retaliate if Trump really imposes tariffs on $100 billion of their imports, and which ones we have no idea. But as it turns out, maybe China's less important to us than we are to it. They don't want our soy? No problem. There's plenty of demand elsewhere on the globe for soy. They don't want our recyclable waste. Well, I got news for them. We got plenty of demand for it here. They want to raise the price of clothes? No worries. Our retailers will just source it from somewhere else that's even cheaper to make than China and maybe better. If you think our retailers are hostage to the People's Republic of China, go make some calls. Think again. That said, obviously, the Chinese can hurt us, particularly the stock market. But love them or hate them. So far, President Trump's been playing with a winning hand on trade, browbeating foreign competitors, uh, foreign companies into building factories right here and making life difficult for those who don't. Not that long ago, North Korea was supposed to blow up the world. I got a lot of negative and derisive and, of course, just, you know, basically people just said, what are you kidding me? Feedback. When I came out on Squawk on the Street and said to, to Carl and David that you're going to hear about President Trump being in the running for the Nobel Peace Prize when he defuses the decades-old powder keg in the Korean Peninsula. Now, Kim Jong-un, I, I'm not kidding, he's, Kim Jong-un, is, is, he's talking about giving up his nukes. You don't have to like this president, but maybe there's a method to his madness. People aren't laughing about this thing anymore. Uh, they're thinking, oh, man, maybe he's right. Now, most people think Trump's met his match with China. I don't necessarily disagree. But last night, after listening to Apple CEO Tim Cook talk about the mutual dependence of both countries on, on each other, this was during my Josh slipped in any phone call to, to uh, Tim before the conference call, I started to wonder if maybe China might be willing to make a deal. Why would the Chinese government keep subsidizing their own steel industry as a make-work program when they can do the same thing with jobs in a different sector that won't upset the world economy or cause horrible air pollution? Hey, look, they could just as easily put people to work building solar panels and windmills. Those take a lot of people. I'm not saying we can stop worrying about China, but I do think there's a scenario where we come out ahead and it would be a mistake to dismiss it out of hand before President Trump declares victory. So here's my bottom line. I fully expect many more things to go wrong. I know this Fed did nothing to Today, that's good news, but we'll have to hear about how they're behind the curve, right? That's tomorrow's narrative. I think there'll be more number cuts and shortfalls because of raw cost inflation in this battle with China. However, as Apple and Facebook demonstrate, the end of the world is not always nigh. If things can go right for Apple or for Facebook, why not for the broader stock market? You know what? It's not as crazy as it sounds. Jerry in Ohio, Jerry! Yeah, Jim. Jerry. A big booyah! Whoa! That was easy. My triplets, my eight-year-old triplets in uh, Holland, Ohio. So, anyway, uh, I'd like to have your take on universal display. You know, it's funny. Tonight, Corvo reported they are a big supplier to Apple, and the stock's up big. Cirrus Logic reported they are a big supplier to Apple, and the stock is up is down big. Universal Display is a big supplier, but I've got to tell you, I think Apple's going in another direction. I still think, even though the stock has come down a lot, that you can't own it. Take a look at Micron, where they said that DRAM prices had peaked. That one can't stop going down. Warned you about that. Took a lot of hate on that one, too. You know what? High haters, high haters. Tony in Georgia, Tony. Jim, what's happening, brother? You know, I don't know. I'm just trying to get you know, I'm trying to get some sleep during, you know, maybe one or two nights, but it's it's proving to be incapable. What's going on with you? Uh, you know what? I just I want to talk to you. I'm a little depressed. The uh, economy's good, the stocks can't get their act together. It's kind of almost like it's 2008 all over again. Isn't it? Doesn't uh, it feel awful? Uh, it's terrible. I mean, if the Sixers lose tonight, I'm telling you, I'm going to be stuck with this market for a long time. Go ahead. <laughs> Specifically, uh, American Tower. Um, 
You know, the stock's just been kind of been going down the past couple of weeks, and they reported good numbers Monday, and the stock sold off Tuesday. I mean, is this T-Mobile merger going to affect the industry, the tower industry at all, or what's, what's going to happen? On that call, then you know, they actually talk, they've been talking about how, listen, we're not going to get hurt by that even if the deal goes through. I have always been a believer in the tower stocks, but they periodically have these big hiccups. I have said to buy the hiccups. We've been right. I'm not backing down. I am, listen up, people, tired of the ejections. I'm tired of the hate. Things can work out. And there are enough boxes getting checked to make you want to buy, not sell. That's me, backpacking. Oh, man, money tonight. Forget the next iPhone model. I'll tell you how Apple has already built its next big business. And Apple's share buyback is bigger than most companies in the S&P 500. But it's not the only company taking initiative. I'm eyeing some other blockbuster buybacks. And this wild market draining all your energy, I'll tell you whether Dominion Energy could give you a boost with a 5% yield. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. It doesn't matter until it matters more than anything else. I'm talking about Apple's rapidly growing service revenue stream, something that simply didn't have enough critical mass to make a difference until, well, now. Sure, for the last few quarters, we've been hearing that this business was large enough to make up its own Fortune 100 company. But the 100th largest company on earth is chump change when buried within a colossus like Apple. Last night's blowout quarter, which had huge China sales and fabulously better than expected numbers for even the much derided iPhone X, that narrative is now gone because the key takeaway was that the service businesses has finally arrived. I alluded to that at the top of the show. Let's drill down. There are now 270 million people who subscribe to Apple's various services, up 100 million versus last year. Yep, that's 170 million more paying customers than Amazon Prime, 130 million more than HBO, more than double the size of Netflix. Given that Apple has an installed base of 1.3 billion devices, many of whom need more services, it will soon be large enough to overtake Visa, the big dog, domestically. Suddenly, Apple's thinking of itself in terms of a brand new word, members. In a world where there is almost no brand loyalty anymore, we found one consumer products brand that is staying power, the Apple brand, with 99% satisfaction among its members. Believe me, if you're working at Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Colgate, or Coca-Cola, or Bud, you would sell your soul for those numbers. These legacy companies are losing customers every day. Not only is there no brand loyalty, there's disruption everywhere. Private labels, no names, web brands, all pitted against each other with totally transparent prices. Something that's repugnant to those old school brands that have spent billions trying to indoctrinate the public into using their brands regardless of the price. Of course, the analysts don't want to hear it. They're, they're all tech people who think Apple makes a dumb machine that nobody gets excited about anymore. Who cares about facial recognition, right? Apparently the Chinese care, which is why the new iPhone is selling so well over there. They dig it. These tech analysts want to keep tracking key semiconductor parts to make an earnings model, then figure out how much Apple will return to shareholders via buybacks while they miss the estimates. Wrong. 
I have long argued that this is pure lunacy. Apple is less a tech company than a consumer packaged goods company with real loyalty. Yet the stock, as I said at the top, is a steal versus that cohort. Think about it. This is a revenue stream that grows even if they don't release a new iPhone. Heaven forbid they actually create one that finally gets these tech analysts excited. Critical mass gives Apple something that all of these membership-oriented companies crave, the ability to sell into a channel of their own making. Here's how I look at it. Between Apple Pay, Apple Music, 40 million members right there, and storing your pictures in the cloud, Apple could roll out an affinity credit card that might add billions to the bottom line for almost no, no cost. And they'd have to do, all they have to do is make one phone call to Visa. You could have a buying group like an online version of a Costco membership where you can get a deal on a watch or earbuds that would crush the competition. However, the biggest opportunity here might be health care. You know how you always have to fill out all those stupid forms every time you go to any doctor, no matter what, and sign 10 times. They never seem to have it ready. If Apple wants to do it, it could create Apple Health. And for $15 a month, everything's run through your platform, all your info on your phone, all your scripts, your medical history, that darn card that you have to carry in your wallet for your HMO. You could put it on your watch, too. It's the ultimate killer app, and Apple could own it outright. And the world would pay for it because it will be encrypted and safe and convenient. Remember, Apple doesn't sell your data. Its reputation for refusing to share your stuff is the finest in the world. That's why I think the regulators, the doctors, and the insurance companies will all embrace this initiative. And Tim's got to lead it because it will save more lives than any medicine ever invented while reducing the cost of health care dramatically. I'd say almost by, I'm willing to say, tens of billions of dollars. That would be huge. Now, let's hope Tim Cook has thought about it because then 2019 will be a gigantic, gigantic year. And the margins, with this kind of service business, 90% margins is within the realm of possibility. Yes, it's, it's that good. It's a razor blade, but much better than a razor blade will ever be. Much more mad money ahead. Last night, Apple rewarded its investors with a record cash giveaway. But it's not the only one that's given that's buying back stock. I'm going to reveal the top companies that are buying shares here. Then Dominion Energy, letter D, been on the downtrend so far this year. Could have recently announced focus on renewals be the key to turning things around. And my exclusive with Coupa Software. Hey, the company's stock is up 65% this year. But can it continue to rally? I say stick with Kramer. frustrating thing about this earnings season is that no matter how well some companies do, they just don't seem to get much credit from investors. For example, the market was basically flat in April after a negative first quarter. Yet when you look at the numbers we've gotten from nearly two-thirds of the S&P 500 that have already reported, their earnings have increased by more than 25% on a share-weighted basis. Over the last three months, the market's come down and come down hard from its highs. Your corporate profits better than ever. So I've been wondering, what exactly does it take for a company to get Wall Street to appreciate its fabulous earnings and its numbers for revenues? Because we've seen business after business report strong results only after stocks get Polacks. Well, last night, Apple gave us an answer. A big beat coupled with a gigantic $100 billion share of purchase. Well, that's apparently enough to do the job. Hence, one of the reasons why the stock's up a terrific $7.47, or 4.4% one day. But look, it's not just Apple that's buying back stock like there's no tomorrow. We've seen company after company announce they've bought back huge chunks of stock, and in most cases, the market has barely acknowledged them. It's a yawner. 
Now, when the huge corporate tax cut was being debated last year, Wall Street was thrilled at the prospect of all the enormous corporate buybacks it would unleash. Yes, we wanted people to get hired. Of course, we want people to get hired. We're not heartless, but buybacks are good, too. We were practically salivating over them. Now, it's like people don't even notice, which is why I feel compelled right now, tonight, to point out some of the best ones. But before I get into the nitty-gritty, I need to give a shout-out to Howard Silverblatt of S&P Dow Jones Indices, who inspired me with a tweet I saw this weekend about the huge buyback boost we've seen in the first quarter. According to him, based on the companies in the S&P 500 that have reported so far, buybacks in the first quarter are up more than 54% versus the previous quarter. To me, that's astounding. More importantly, he's been very generous with his data, so give him a follow on Twitter at HSilverB, as he's a wellspring of information on the S&P 500. Got it. Got to like the guy. So let's talk about the biggest, most impactful buybacks we've seen. Before Apple reported its monster repurchase last night, the largest one we got in this quarter is from a biotech company, Amgen, which stunned Wall Street by spending more than $10.7 billion on buybacks last quarter. That is gigantic. In one quarter, they retired roughly 8.5% of the share count. Just as important, this this repurchase represents a seven-fold increase versus last year, more than anyone else on this list not named Apple. Yet even though the Amgen buyback was the thing of beauty, it didn't seem to have much impact on the stock price, as the darn thing keeps trending lower and lower because biotech's a hated cohort. Did you see Gilead today? Awful! But it won't always be hated. And Amgen did have the most offshore cash per capita, so to speak, of any company. So it made a ton of sense for them to swoop in and buy back a ton of stock. Honestly, if they keep repurchasing at this pace and the stock refuses to go higher or even goes lower, I know this is difficult for, to believe for a $100 billion company, but so many of these large companies in pharmaceuticals are desperate that, yes, this could get on the list of companies being taken over. I would never recommend a stock on this show if the fundamentals weren't good before I said it could get taken over, and Amgen's are excellent. Next up, Oracle repurchased a nice, clean $4 billion worth of stock last quarter. And I think they could go, afford to go a lot higher. As the company's built up a massive cash stockpile, they're sitting on more than $70 billion, although they do have a lot of debt. It doesn't surprise me that Oracle's buying back a lot of stock because there seems to be a major disconnect between how well the company believes it's doing and how well investors believe it's doing. In short, Oracle seems to feel like the market doesn't appreciate the quality of, the, of its business. So they're taking action. Given the not-so-hot results from the latest quarter, I, w- I didn't really care for it. I'm not sure management necessarily is right. But at least it's got to put the money, their money where their mouth is. Microsoft shelled out $3.8 billion in buybacks, up 88% year over year, but still pretty insignificant when you consider that this is a $718 billion company that, of course, is in that foot race I mentioned for stocks to get to a trillion dollars. Still, Microsoft's been a great performer, and the buyback has made it behave. It made its stock behave like it's a small cap enterprise. When buyers come in, they can't seem to get enough, so they move the stock up big. That's what happened when reported last week. Next up, Boeing bought back $3 billion worth of stock in the first quarter, which makes sense as the stock got poleaxed in late February, even as business remains incredibly strong. They literally can't make enough planes to save all the demand. I've said it before. At $324, Boeing looks like a steal to me because unless China ends up specifically targeting them as part of our ongoing trade dispute, I see this stock headed to $400, and that was a price target that I picked on December 7th when I interviewed the company. Clearly, Boeing's management agrees with me, which is why they're in there buying this stock back hand over fist. Now, if the Chinese don't want Boeing's planes, the dozens of countries in line behind them will be delighted to move up the queue. Finally, fifth largest non-Apple buyback in the first quarter is UnitedHealth. 
Remember, we interviewed them just last month. This is the stock that we own for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining Axelors Club. UNH bought back $2.65 billion worth of its own stock. That's a 710% increase versus last year. And hey, uh, why wouldn't they? Business is good for UNH as their managed care competitors are being sold or combining. Basically, UNH often feels like the only player in the group that's totally got its house in order. I, I, I actually find that pretty close. Eh, maybe there's some others that are in the rivalry. Speaking of HOM, of HMOs. Remember I told you to buy CNC on Friday? Remember we had Michael Nyderoff one? That stock rallied a quick six bucks today from a stock offering. And I think UNH's shareholders sold their own stock to swap into the Centene deal. It created a nice $3 change pullback in UNH. I think you need to view this weakness as a gift. All right, then there's the buyback to end all buybacks. And you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the one from Apple. Everything these other companies have done pales in comparison to the iPhone maker's gigantic $100 billion repurchase authorization announced last night. Yep, Apple's finally putting a significant chunk of its $267 billion cash hoard to work starting in the June quarter. Oh, and the 16% dividend boost by management didn't hurt either. Now, it's the buyback that I want to focus on. As CFO Luca Meister, who's a real smart guy, explained on the conference call, considering the unprecedented size of this new authorization, we want to be particularly thoughtful and flexible in our approach to repurchasing shares. Our intention is to execute our program efficiently and at a fast pace. Hey, sounds good to me. He then continued, we believe the stock is undervalued, and so we have a bias towards the buyback. Well, that's music to my ears. At these prices, a $100 billion buyback equates to about 11.5% of the share count, which is a lot of stock to retire, even if they drag it out over the next few years. But let's not ignore the fact that last quarter alone, Apple retired $22.8 billion worth of stock. That's the largest buyback in human history during a single quarter. I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan of this move. Luca Maestri has made it clear that Apple's going to be disciplined with its purchase. But he also said they wanted to deploy the capital quickly. And look, having Apple buying vast quantities of its own stock is going to make this stock a lot easier to own even up here. The huge repurchase also makes financial sense as it helps offset the company's slowing revenue growth, which is mostly a function of the law of large numbers. Finally, a buyback this big makes a statement. Apple's basically tell you that its stock is far too cheap here. Now, given that it sells for 13 times next year's earnings estimate, 13, and is the ultimate beloved consumer goods company with a gigantic consistent service revenue stream, I think they have a point. Hey, let me give you one last thought. I trust Tim Cook and his team to execute here because over the last six years, Apple has repurchased $200 billion worth of stock, and they've always done it opportunistically. When the stock drops, they're there. They don't just sit there and buy it every day. So while last night's announcement grabbed a lot of attention, the truth is that this company's just ratcheting up what it's been doing all along. Bottom line, today Apple got credit. Credit for its bountiful buyback plans. But there are tons of other companies returning huge slugs of cash to their shareholders. And I think you'll miss out if you ignore them, particularly on these down days when there's nothing underneath, so to speak. Do some homework. Find the ones you want to buy and then snag them before the companies buy up all the shares themselves. Let's go to Allen in New York. Allen. Hello, Jim Kramer. Big booyah to you. Sounds good. What's shaking? I want to know about Pepsi. I've been watching this stock for 10 years. It goes up, 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 and all of a sudden, over the last number of months, it's been crashing. It's back to its price back from two years ago. I know it pays a 3.2% dividend. It's no, 3.7%. Like 3.7% if this decline. 
Alan, and you're dead right. Uh, I think that Ingenuity's done a fantastic job. Why this stock is down 18 quick points is beyond me, since they did beat the numbers. The problem is, of course, that this consumer products group is just way out of favor, which is why we actually pulled the trigger for the AccelerationsPlus.com club and bought a little today. It just seemed too ridiculous to have gone down this far this fast and still done the numbers. They have a lot of buyback power. All they need to do is put a little more money behind the PepsiCo brand, and I think you'll find the stock up, and that's exactly what they'll do. Raj in California. Raj. Hey there, Jim. Booyah from California. Oh, what's up there? So uh, I was looking at Cloudera, C-L-D-R, and it recently dropped from 22 to 14. I was wondering if you think it's going to continue to go Raj, up. Raj, listen or- to me. That was one terrible quarter. It took me by surprise. I took it home. I said, wow, this is really terrible reading. I put on the Sixers. They won the game. That's really all that I had to say about that night. Gilbert and Marilyn Gilbert. Yes, uh, uh, Jim. Uh, I'm a first-time caller, okay. and uh, I have uh, I, I own some uh, GM, and it's come down uh, in the last a few weeks. Uh, however, I noticed that the uh, CEO has announced a buyback. Do you think there will be a, a re? A rebound, and if so, would you sell into the rebound? Gilbert, no, the stock is too cheap for me to tell you to sell, but there are secular headwinds, meaning winds that have nothing to do with how well the economy does. Kids aren't starting to buy uh, cars until they're 25 years old. Obviously, they have the electric problem here. Tesla up again. This thing is driving me crazy. But the main reason why I don't want you to sell it is because it's the cheapest stock in the S&P 500. That's right, the cheapest. I can't tell you to sell number 500 or 500. What can I say? I like big buybacks, and I cannot lie. Apple's finally getting credit for its buyback plan, but there are tons of other companies doing the same. I think you pay attention and maybe do some homework. Watch more man ahead. NatGas, solar power, and wind generation. Oh, my. I'll find out why Dominion Energy is hoping a focus on renewables could help turn its stock around. It needs to do something. Then it's a company that works with brands like Procter & Gamble, Staples, and even Salesforce. And it may not be on your radar, even though it grows 44%. I'll reveal it just ahead. And all your calls, rapid fire, nice decision, the lightning round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Don't forget the 2025 plan of world domination. I will. Okay. I, 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 Bathroom break, 2025. 2025. There it is. Substance versus form. I'm, <laughs> I'm form. Sick burn. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. As the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury has pulled back from 3%, we've gotten a bit of a bounce in the utilities. It's a classic group of dividend stocks that tend to be very sensitive to interest rates. So what do you do with a high-quality utility here, like Dominion Energy? Here's a company that's a major play on power generation and distribution. And when Dominion reported last week, the company gave you some solid results. Even though the revenues came in a tad light, they delivered a terrific 10-cent earnings beat off of a dollar four basis. Even better, it looks like the regulators are falling in line when it comes to Dominion's acquisition, the beleaguered Scana, a utility based in Georgia and South Carolina. You know, I'm in favor of because I think the merger is going to bring out a lot of value. But thanks to this relentless rise of interest rates earlier this year and a new capital raise that took some by surprise, Dominion stock is down nearly 20% for 2018. That's a big decline for this stock. Uh, this stock sports a 5% yield now. I think it's pretty attractive. Let's check in with Tom Farrell, the chairman and CEO of Dominion Energy, get a better sense of how this company's doing. We're Mr. Farrell. Welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, nice to see you. 
right, well, first time I want to congratulate you because you did your incredible natural gas uh, project on time. And I just want viewers to know how it's doing because it was a monster endeavor. And I've seen very few people not have big cost overruns. You didn't on this huge project. Talking about Cope Point, our LNG export facility, it came in three years of construction, came in on time and on a budget of $4.1 billion. Extraordinary amount of work uh, done over that period of time, three years of permitting, three years of construction, but came in on time and on budget. We're very pleased, uh, and ships have uh, been on their way already to both India and Japan under 20-year long-term capacity payments. Okay, so let's talk about the capital raise you did. I know a lot of people felt that well, there was a period when you could do being these mass limited partnerships were so tax advantaged for wealthy individuals that you'd be able to what's known as drop down one. You did that and then be able to sell some stock, be able to raise capital. But the markets were unforgiving and remain unforgiving for these mass limited partnerships. So do you think you've raised enough capital in the other way that you did it with an equity offering? Is that now behind you and we don't have to worry about more stock? No more stock through at least 2020. Uh, we are doing, uh, looking at an asset sale to make up the balance we need between a billion and a billion and a half dollars. It has to do with some complicated rulings out of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that uh, we and a lot of others are asking them to rethink. Uh, but that's what caused uh, the, the significant decline in the stock. But we've taken care of uh, our financing needs for the next three years. Well, let's uh, talk about Subject uh, to the sale. Thank you. The FERC ruling was a surprise. TC Pipelines was actually a pretty good company today. Slashed their distribution 35%, again, because of FERC. You know, FERC was supposed to be, uh, let's say, more um, uh, pipeline friendly under the, uh, this new president. What happened? And do you really think there is a chance that FERC can start changing his mind? Because this has really hurt the entire effort to be able to get oil and natural gas to market. It's going to make it very, very difficult uh, to see, to finance uh, a lot of gas infrastructure. They reversed a policy that had been in place for almost 40 years uh, with l almost no notice. Uh, so it's something that everybody is, uh, a lot of people have pushed or asked them to reconsider. I think there's a very significant chance they will reconsider. How they will actually rule uh, during that part of the process, I don't know. Uh, but we were uh, not willing to wait for that. That's why we went ahead with our secondary plan which we've put in place that you referred to a minute ago. Okay, behind, I want to talk about... The issuances are behind us. Okay, boy, I sure hope so, because it really is very discouraging for a lot of people. Can you talk about your uh, most recent efforts to do renewables? Because it seems like that the renewables have dropped in price where they're very competitive to even natural gas. We've uh, installed uh, over 2,000 megawatts of solar uh, nationwide uh, in the last four years. Nationwide's uh, not quite nationwide, but from Cal... From, the West Coast, in the middle part of the country, and the East Coast, uh, we now have solar farms in nine states. Uh, we have wind farms in two states. We'll be doing a lot more solar uh, over the next few years. We're looking at an offshore wind farm uh, that would be part of our regulated asset base uh, in Virginia. Uh, when you build uh, a lot of renewables, you need more pipeline infrastructure uh, and gas-fired power plants to back up uh, the solar or wind because, obviously, it's an intermittent a source of power. So you need a more a, a reliable backup uh, source. And for that, you need more gas infrastructure. All right, well, Tom, how much of this is driven by customers? You know, when I speak to a lot of companies, particularly companies like a Google, uh, like an Amazon, they want no footprint. They want to have a renewable footprint. They want their utilities to do it. They certainly tell me coal is dead. Is that really the new narrative for the utility business? 
hear a lot of that from uh, our large customers, as we've discussed before, Jim, over half of the internet traffic in the United States routes through our electric service territory. Uh, a lot of that has to do with our inexpensive rates that we have, the low rates we have. It's a lot of fiber infrastructure. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, negotiations with large customers like that to provide them all solar uh, for their needs. We're uh, going to be a new, very large Facebook uh, data center here in Virginia. Microsoft we have contracts with, Amazon we have contracts with, all for data centers to provide renewable power as their source of power. Well, I got to tell you, Tom, it's ridiculous. Your stock's down, uh, it's down as much as it is. 5% yield seems great for me. You have been with us the whole way, and I like it. Thank you so much to Tom Farrell, Chairman and CEO of Dominion Energy. Good to see you, sir. You too, Jim. Stock's too cheap. Got good yield. May have money's back there. Good work. It is time. Time the light. We're going to bring up Brad around the same time. And then the light rounds over. Are you ready? Ski down. It's over the light round. We're going to start with Grace in Florida. Grace. Yes. Hello, Mr. Kramer. I was calling to ask you uh, about Snap. I bought it at 20, and I was wondering if I should keep it or uh, sell it. I'm sorry, Grace. I think it goes lower. Let's go to Brandon in New York. Brand- I'm sorry, Marie in Washington, Marie. Yes, hello, Jim. Um, I've been wanting to jump into the marijuana sector because of its anticipated medical value. What do you think of GW Pharmaceutical? I like GW Pharma. They're going to have the uh, the only legal stuff, and I think it's going to be very important. Now, you do need some off-label use, and no one's going to talk about that. But a standardized pill that has CBD, that's perfect. Brandon in New York. Brandon! Booyah! What's Whoa. going on, Jim? Ah, uh, Not much. How about you? Good, good. We met at uh, your book signing in uh, Westbury, New York before. I wrote oh, the book my. I had fun. That was at the giant Costco. Boy, that team was so great up there. I like Costco oh. up here. What's going on? Uh, fine. Calling about Limelight. Limelight Network. LLNW today. A few years ago, I, have a, I gave a seminar for the street about undervalued stocks. It was around two. It has doubled, and I think it goes higher because it's about streaming. It's a poor man's Akamai, I admit, but I like it. Let's go to Kim in Delaware. Kim. Hey, Booyah, Jim, Booyah. from the first day. Uh, my uh, stock I'm calling about is uh, Seagate. Oh, uh, overdone on the downside yesterday. I think people got too negative on Seagate. Now, Western Digital has, has uh, too much flash, and I think this one is less expensive. George in Ohio. George. Hey, Jim. I really appreciate your nightly uh, perspectives. I'm calling about Dana Herb. Uh, wondering if that's a hold, sell, or buy more. I like Tom Joyce and the Rails Brothers. Okay. Uh, Danaher is one of the most well-managed companies in the country. I tell club members of ActionLearnersPlus.com, this may be the finest company we own in the entire portfolio of the Chapel Trust <laughs> right here, right now. They, you see they tried to buy $20 billion, the life science division of GE, which made me feel like that maybe indeed GE's done going down. I need to go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Good afternoon, Mad Money. Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you? Excellent. My question for you today is uh, General Mills. Holy cow. That thing yields 4.6 now. That is just ridiculous. This company's not going under, I got to tell you. I was wrong on General Mills. I, I wanted to buy it too high, but I will double down here. Let's go to Don in Texas. Don. 
Hello, gentlemen. A big Arlington, Texas. Booyah to you. Good for you. What's happening? Hey, my question is regarding a company that uh, the past 52 weeks has been as high as 120, but the past few months has only been uh, between 98 and 103. That's Texas Instruments. Texas Instruments had a great quarter. It was mostly Internet of Things. One day, the negativity among the cell phone, the uh, semiconductors will stop when they're delinked from the sand cell phones. And then you're going to say, why didn't I buy a 102? August in New York, August. Hey, Jim. This is Booyah from Long Island, New York. Thank you for taking my call and for all the great advice you give us investors. My question is on a small position I have in FireEye. You know, Fire I got hit a little today, and I have to tell you, I think that management's real good and it's making a comeback. You know I love that cohort. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. While the border market has gotten kind of dicey of late, the truth is that there are still real pockets of strength, but you got to know where to look for them. Regular viewers know that I'm a big believer in the rise of the cloud because this is a growth theme that will keep working regardless of what happens with China or interest rates or inflation. And some of these cloud stocks have been holding up very well. Take Coupa Software, which has a cloud-based platform that helps businesses manage their spending decisions, find more cost savings. What Salesforce does for customer relations management, these guys do for expense management including for Salesforce. This is exactly the kind of thing that's working right here. And in fact, so far this year, Coupa has left even the cloud kings I talk about almost in the dust. This stock is up more than 50% year to date and business is good. As Coupa's latest quarter report in mid-March was incredibly strong. So let's check in with Rob Bernstein, the chairman and CEO of Coupa Software. Find out more about how his company's doing. We're at Mr. Bernstein. Welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. All again. right, so you have 44% growth, which actually is faster than all the cloud kings I have, so I should have anointed you immediately. How are you able to do that? Even as I find a lot of people say, Coupa Software, who are they? Well, we're building our way into this huge market opportunity that we call business spend management. Okay. We're helping companies get their arms around hundreds of billions of dollars in spend, optimize it, save money, get smarter about the way they interact with suppliers. Everything that has to do with spending money on the goods and services companies need, we help them apply best-in-class cloud platform technology to get it done. Okay, so I'm Procter & Gamble, spending a fortune, obviously, have lots of supply issues, really want to keep the spend down because our stock's at a 52-week low, yields 4% now. We hire Coupa. What's Coupa going to do for us? Let's use the example you referred to in your earlier monologue around expense management. Yes. They may begin with expense reporting. Very, very simple. You're traveling. You're at a restaurant. You take a picture of your seat, gets sucked right into Coupa. All the data gets pulled off it. You get reimbursed after it gets routed for approval. Uh, you may take an Uber. Uh, Uber directly sends that information directly into Coupa. All the data gets pulled off, properly classified. You get reimbursed if that uh, Uber trip was actually within compliance. But Jim, as you can imagine, not all spend is after-the-fact expense reporting. Right. You may need pre-approval for expenditures. So let's say you're working on a new detergent, for example, and you're a lab technician. You need a beaker. You go in to Coupa, you request a beaker, search for a beaker, right. and you see in front of you all the preferred pricing that the company has negotiated for lab supplies like beakers. Maybe they want to work with companies that offer the best pricing. Maybe they want to work with suppliers that offer, uh, for example, green programs or corporate social responsibility programs. So the company then routes 
purchasing directly to the suppliers they actually want to work with, saving the money, get, have, giving them the opportunity to optimize spend. Okay, so Rob, a lot of companies tell me they save uh, uh, their, uh, their customers' money, and they often tell me that they can do these, uh, these kinds of procurements cheaper. Are you taking business from those guys, or is this just uh, one of those things where so few companies really have these kinds of expenses under control? Jim, it's unbelievable how much of this stuff is being done with paper, Paper. How much of this is being done in a way where companies just don't understand where they're spending their money? In 2018. Unbelievable how much of it is done this way. You take invoice processing, for example. We now automate and streamline invoice processing for companies. Again, hundreds of billions of dollars and spend running through Coupa. They'll go into our Coupa supplier network. There's four, more than 4 million suppliers that we're helping our buyers work with. They'll see their orders coming in. They'll flip them into invoices. The invoices will come in. All that will get matched. No human intervention whatsoever. And if they find that they're dealing with suppliers who are offering them bad deals Mm -hmm. or are not shipping on time or there are other issues with them, certain disputes, we'll then help them get routed to suppliers that can deliver for them. All right. Uh, one last question. Uh, I mentioned Salesforce. Now, I thought Salesforce was the most digitized, automated company in the world. They were not doing it right? Well, let's say they were doing it differently? Well, they've been our customer for over seven years, believe it or not. But all the companies that you see come through here, I was watching today, you know, the Tesla, yeah. Uber, all these companies, Snap, these are now customers of Coupa. They, they are. streamlining their spend management through our platform, and we're delivering value as a service for them day in and day out. Well, no wonder you're growing so fast. You're doing, you're having, creating real value added for these companies. That's Rob Bernstein, Chairman CEO of Coupa Software. He's been on before, been delivered on everything, and then some mad money's back after the break. Consumer packaged goods stocks getting crushed. Industrials getting killed. I have to tell you, This market has gotten so negative that if you get any spark of good news out of China, you could have something like what happened to Apple or Facebook. Yes, it can still go lower, but as it gets lower, a lot of time it gets cheaper. Like says, always more market summer. Promise I find just for you right here at Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I'm Kelly Evans host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then.